the voices of angels broke 400 years of silence from the mouth of God. Prior to that breaking, the final words the children of Israel heard were a mixture of corrective warning mingled with hope. I'm going to take us to the last book of the Old Testament, the last chapter and the last several verses of that book. As God was going out with his voice for that period of time, this is what he left his children with. Remember the law of Moses, my servant, even the statutes and ordinances, which I commanded him in Horeb for all Israel. Behold, I'm going to send you Elijah, the prophet before the coming of the great and terrible day of the Lord. He will restore the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers so that I will not come and smite the land with a curse. And at that point, he fell silent. He wasn't speaking through his prophets anymore. He wasn't writing fresh pages of scripture for them to hear. He went silent for four centuries. Silence has great significance in culture, in most cultures, not just our own, but even in some of the ancient cultures of the world. Silence conveys uh, 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 some wisdom is perhaps being applied. You might ponder something for a while. It shows great consideration to stand in conversation and ha exercise silence. It also can convey respect. If you're, teach, you're talking to somebody that perhaps is your elder or somebody that you're close with and you're not, you're quick to respond, uh, with your own thoughts, it conveys respect. I'm trying to hear what you're saying to me. I'm trying to take it into account. Silence has great value in our culture. It's a, it's a great communication device, as it were. You wouldn't think that not saying anything is helpful for communication, but so often it is. Some of us have been in those conversations where you say the thing, specifically to your spouse, that gets no response. And you immediately start taking inventory. What just came out of my mouth to warrant such a cold, icicle lack of response? And we start thinking about it because silence that we're receiving in response to the things that we said causes us to take inventory, causes us to reflect. Silence isn't just the absence of information or participation. It can be intentional to fall silent. And it is meant for us to ponder and reflect. When God had finished saying what he was saying in Malachi, it's like a stage curtain dropped and, and, and God's people were in the audience and they were thinking, okay, that's the end of act one. The stage curtain is dropped. Everything's gone silent. And now we're waiting to see what's coming. Once the curtain lifts, we've been to performances before, right? We go to theatrical um, performances. I've seen my kids uh, participate in several plays and things. And it's such an enjoyable thing to, to experience. You know, you're pulling for your kids. You can't wait to see how it all comes out. But when intermission time comes, you're ready for it, right? And we want to stand a little bit. We've been sitting there for an hour and a half. It's time to move, you know. And so when intermission comes, we welcome it. It comes at just the right time. But if it's a performance that you're actually into and you're anticipating a great follow-up act or something, or it's something you really want to participate in, after a while, intermission gets a little too long. Okay, I stretched my legs. I got my drink of water. Can we please just move on with this? When are they going to lift the curtain? I heard rustling going on. I saw a couple of pokes on the curtain a little bit. So I know things are happening. Aren't they ready yet? Maybe you've purchased tickets to go see a favorite band or performer or something. And they always have a warm-up act. 
and you go through that. Sometimes it's enjoyable. Sometimes you're like, come on, move on already. I didn't pay this money to hear these people. I want to hear that person. And so they always take a long time to put all their equipment away and bring the next person out. And there's this anticipation that builds. And we just can't wait for the next act to come. So the stage curtain was dropped. A tension was built. An anticipation is starting to fall on the crowd thinking, okay, is how long is he going to be silent? How long are we going to sit through this? When are they going to lift the curtain? You can just sense all the tension. But God didn't go away during this period. He didn't just stop being active. Though he wasn't speaking and though his prophets weren't writing or proclaiming, he was still active on the stage of the entire world. He was moving the pieces behind the curtain and people in the audience probably sensed something was changing. Something's going on. So God never went away. He never went dormant, never went uh, completely away from his plan. He just stopped talking about it to his people. And what we're going to talk about here in just a, a few moments is what did he intend to do with that silence? And that's our question. Adolf Adam in 1847 wrote a verse, a line in his now classic Christmas song, O Holy Night. This tiny little line that says, long lay the world in sin and error pining. I focused on that word pining because it, it is longing. It's, it's an anticipation. It's what comes out of too long a silence or lack of a response. Silence builds longing or pining in our heart. Tension is built in silence by a perceived lack of action. If nothing's happening, if no one's coming to our rescue, if no one is standing up to any injustice or, or the things that we feel like in our life that we deserve or need in the moment, we start to long for an answer. For some strange reason, my mind went right to David and Goliath this week as I was thinking about this. The classic Christmas story of David and Goliath, right? I don't know. I just get this sense from David that he understands what the word longing is all about. Because David couldn't stand the silence. David couldn't stand the, the lack of action on anybody's part. Isn't any gonna, anybody going to do something about this? And this is what we see unfolding in the, in the story of uh, his battle with the giant Goliath. David is sent to check on his brothers. He's sent by his father. And so he brings probably food and rations and things as an excuse to go see if his brothers are doing okay, knowing that the children of Israel are battling the Philistines. And upon David's arrival, he sees his brothers and other soldiers kind of huddled up onto the side. There's no battle going on because there's a giant pacing around and taunting them and and dragging the name of the Lord their God through the mud and, and making fun of them for not having the courage to come and face him. And so David's seeing all of this and finally he's had enough. And he says, is anybody going to stand up to this guy? He's he's defaming our God. He's 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 belittling you that stand for the glory of God. And David couldn't take it anymore. And of course we know he engages in battle and is victorious, but that tells us of David's heart. The heart of a warrior isn't just one who's strong, isn't just one who's the most skilled in battle, but the one who can't stand the fact that no one's doing anything about the injustice. We see this reflected as David writes, because in the Psalms, he often expresses his heartache when it feels as though the Lord has left him. In Psalm 22, it begins by saying, my God, my God. Why have you forsaken me? Far from my deliverance are the words of my groaning. 
Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I have no rest. But you, O Lord, be not far off. O you, my help, hasten to my assistance. This is the great warrior and the great King David says, deliver my soul from the sword. My only life from the power of the dog. Save me from the lion's mouth, from the horns of the wild oxen. You answer me. David is expressing a longing, a yearning for God to be present. He, he, he literally has heart palpitations and panic attacks when he senses that his salvation is moved off because his Lord seems a little bit distant from him. When we live in longing enough, when we're, when our hearts are yearning for something long enough, we start to find ways to fulfill the things that we are yearning for. It seems we are constantly in a state of political crisis, regardless of who's in office, right? Man cannot bring the peace that we all want. Oftentimes our finances take a hit or we're living paycheck to paycheck and, and that kind of thing scares us and it kind of shakes us on our core, our, our safety and our security either nationally or in our own homes or neighborhoods. If that is tested or, or at all uh, proven to be on shaky ground, we, we run to answers and solutions when our health tells us things aren't so good. All of those things throw our vulnerabilities up in magnified sense. They come in full force during our weak moments. And don't the cults and connivers know how to sweep right in with an answer? I've got a magic oil for you to take for this. I've got a financial solution. I've got a, a, a system over here that you can adhere to. It'll fix all that ails you. Fortunately, David, as his heart is long and he's crying out to God in the silence, he directs us by his own testimony in a way that gives us hope. David doesn't go for the conniver. He doesn't fall trap and pray to the cults. He says in his, in Psalm 22, yet you are holy. You who are enthroned upon the praises of Israel in you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were delivered. In you they trusted and were not disappointed. So what does this cause the mighty warrior to do? What does this cause the one to do whose heart is longing for the presence of God? He says, I'll tell of your name to my brethren. In the midst of the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. All you descendants of Jacob, glorify him and stand in awe of him, all you descendants of Israel. For he has not despised nor abhorred the affliction of the afflicted, nor has he hidden his face from him. But when he cried to him for help, he heard. The children of Israel, in effect, saw God close the curtain on all that he has said. The centuries now were, were preparing to, to do things without the direct voice of God. And, and words like this that they knew from their scriptures were, were available to, to encourage their hearts, but they were going to go through a long period of testing. 
So the stage is being set for this great comeback because we, if you study at all what's going on in those 400 years, it's like it's always gone through history. You know, the, the political shifts are taking place and changes of power and, and, and all the while God's children are trying to adhere to some form of, of religious practice with the temple. They're trying to be faithful. Then that gets manipulated and religion goes to, to people's heads and it's, and it's, it's, uh, it's owned in, with a power struggle. And so all of these things get very, very confusing. And all the while, God's not saying anything new about it because he said so much already. And like we said in our conversations, when we say something expecting an immediate response and there isn't one, we're challenged to say, what did I miss? What should I be thinking about? What should I be hearing right now? Everybody loves a comeback. And I'm going to be real superficial about this. We're not, we're not talking about something that, to the great magnitude of, of the nation of Israel and what they had to suffer with for 400 years. But, but to, to understand that we are all created with a desire to cheer for the underdog, that we are, we are all created with a desire to see that which is improbable take place. And a victory, a come from behind kind of victory. And I was blessed a, a few weeks back to be able to go and, uh, and witness to go see a Celtics game. And we went with one of our dear friends and there was an extra ticket. All of this was kind of a, a just a, a very generous gift given to us. And so, um, I took my youngest son with me and, um, it's, it's my, my thing. I just love the Celtics. I'm a big basketball fan and stuff. So I pretty much probably see every game. So that tells you why I'm not smarter because I take in at least 82 games of a regular season and probably another 20 something of the playoffs. It's my obsession. So that's where I'm at. Just a way of confession for all of you. So I'm here with my son and I've been in the arena before. I've been there during the playoff atmosphere. I've been in Boston when the garden is rocking and the team's going to win and it's close and it's loud. You got 20,000. Nobody does it like Boston. It's just a great atmosphere to be in. And this is a season, if you're not following the Celtics, so I'll be happy to educate you. This is a season where there's some high expectation. They've got a great team and they might actually contend for a championship, all that sort of stuff. But when we were going, things are off to a really rocky start. We didn't know which team would really show up, you know, the one that's going to play hard or not. Sure enough, we go, still an amazing atmosphere. We're down like seven rows back from the center court. We're just beautiful, just amazing opportunity. Who gets to do this, right? And so we're just very blessed, enjoying our time here, but nothing's happening in the game. The, the team is continually just dragging behind. Like no effort there. And, and the, you could hear people 20 rows behind you just frustrated, booing. Hey, earn your paycheck. And all that kind of stuff is going on, you know, like crowds can be. And, and, and so it was still fun. It was still great. But in my heart of hearts, I'm just like, man, I want my son to experience what I've seen and felt in this stadium before. I was just hoping it would come to be. And wouldn't you know it, after people had kind of gone like in the last, you know, in the fourth quarter, there's only three or four minutes left. People are like, oh, I'm done. You know, I get up and they get up and go. Now, all of a sudden, I got room in my row next to me. I, you know, it's the crowds thinning out and everything. And uh, I'm going to spoil it. It didn't have the comeback victory that we all hoped. But man, they made a game of it in the last two minutes where we were just kind of chit-chatting with each other. I lost my voice in literally two minutes of screaming and yelling. I wanted my 12-year-old to experience this amazing atmosphere, and I was the 12-year-old while it was happening. The superstars were playing like superstars. The effort was there. Everything was coming together. And like I said, I got room in my aisle, and I'm doing this, yeah, yeah, freaking out. I'm like, if any put me on TV, all of you would be so embarrassed, you know? And so uh, it was just one of those, it was like the place was alive and there was a, the hope 
and the possibility of a comeback. And we all wanted it so badly. Why? Because we had been sitting in the doldrums for three quarters plus just going, would something please happen? You guys have the talent. You have the resources. You have the ability. Put it together. And they gave us that glimmer of hope. And like I said, unfortunately, it didn't pan out ultimately. But but now may, put this on the more serious front. I've picked on the children of Israel for a long time because I'm living in hindsight. I can look back at what they passed up, how they didn't see the Messiah coming and everything. But imagine what they're seeing. All of this stuff change. And they're thinking our answer is coming. The curtain's going to get raised. The new stage and the scenery is all put together. They're going to come out with the best performers. They're going to have the biggest production. They're going to have the best voices. You wait till act two because we're going to nail it this time. And they start getting antsy and the intermission is there. And it's like, well, lift the curtain, lift the curtain, lift the curtain. And Galatians 4 says they lifted the curtain. Verse 4 says, when the fullness of time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. And the crowd goes wild? No. Imagine what you're expecting to see as the curtain draws. And you're waiting to see all the set design and there's nothing. There's a smelly stable and there's a little infant in a cradle. This is our answer. The big comeback looked like a big letdown. In a moment, we're going to hear a song that we would love to make part of our regular Christmas tradition here at Faith for the Foreseeable Future, a very singable, beautiful song. It's got one tiny little line in it that I think is very appropriate. It says, the sovereign of all looked helpless and small. Most often, the answer that you and I need is not the answer that we want. Isaiah 55, the prophet of old that we often use his writings and his prophecies from the Lord at this time of year, said this. Now think about what Isaiah is getting across to us from the voice of the Lord here. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the righteous man his thoughts and let him return to the Lord and he will have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. Hear this. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways. If you were directing the play when the curtain went up, you'd have a different performance in mind. But I am not you, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there without watering the earth and make it bare and sprout and furnishing seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So will my word be, which goes forth from my mouth. It will not return to me empty without accomplishing what I desire and without succeeding in the matter for which I sent it. For you will go out with joy and be led forth with peace. The mountains and the hills will break forth into shouts of joy before you. And all the trees of the field will clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, the cypress will come up. And instead of the nettle, the myrtle will come up. And it will be a memorial to the Lord for an everlasting sign which will not be cut off. God used the silence of 400 years to convey the message something big was about to happen. Please do not miss it. And what did they do? They missed it. How is God using silence in your life? We have the Holy Spirit that walks with us. If we are in Christ, he is present with us every moment of every step. 
We have his completed word available to us that we can saturate our hearts and our souls with if we just give it the attention it deserves. But God often pauses in your life and he holds back from saying everything that you expect him to say so that we start taking inventory and say, why isn't he speaking right now? My question is, will you be like David and will that make you ache? Or will you even notice that he's gone? If the Lord were to take the word away from you for, say, 40 years, a tenth of the time he did from his children, maybe 40 days, maybe four days, would you ache? Would your life be somehow missing something great because the word of the Lord is not in it? Or is it the kind of thing, if we're speaking even physically of the Bible, that the dust has to be blown off and I have to remind myself the order of the books and the chapters and how that all comes together? Is it become an unfamiliarity because we've neglected the voice of the Lord and we, in a sense, have created the silence? Our opportunity this Christmas season is to understand that the Savior that we are longing for can be the one he sent. But so often we long for the one of our own making instead of finding the one that's been revealed in his word. So let's listen this morning. Let's worship together and let's ponder these thoughts. Amen. Lord God, our adoration to the Lord God on high, Lord, is informed by your presence, by your trustworthiness, Lord. You are our great God and Savior. We know how the story ends. We know that your word has been written, Lord. We trust it. We believe it. God, may that trust turn into daily action. May it, may it turn into a living hope that is on fire for those that are looking. God, may each and every person in this room this morning know you so intimately and believe in you so strongly that other people are amazed. That as they walk in faith, Lord, their lives, their paths, their circumstances are changed, Lord. God, you are present with us to be on full display, to be the glory in our lives. Not us, not of our own making. God, may we surrender to all that you have planned for us, God. Regardless of how it looks, regardless of what we expect or anticipate, Lord, be the God of the Bible in our lives, not the one of our making. You are Lord. We are not. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Thank you, folks, for being here this morning.